Great stories, epic songs, Podplays. If you enjoy the new and original music you discover in Podplays, be sure to stream or download these songs anywhere you currently get your music. Simply search the artist name Podplays, and please remember to like, follow, and share with all your friends. Welcome to the pod play entitled Last Flag on Oak Island, part four. Adapted from the screenplay written by J.R. Jordan Baines. It's 8 p.m. The Jeep pulls into the parking lot of the Mahone Bay Historical Society with Lauren and Maruso inside. In the conference room, Carlos and Rudy sit with Walt Brooks, MBHS president, and Majel Graves, senior member, numismatic. Also in attendance is James Rogers, another senior member. All are seated at the table with papers before them, discussing a cooperation. Lauren and Maruso enter as the others stand. Gentlemen and gentle lady, this is Lauren Gates, Carlos's assistant at the museum. Captain Maruso, a hired skipper. This is Majel Graves and James Rogers, senior members of the Mahone Bay Historical Society and Walt Brooks, president of the society. Captain, Miss Gates, please sit down. Lauren tries to read the papers in front of Carlos, but can't. Lauren, Captain, we've applied for and secured the leasing rights from the owner of the Jodry Cove lots, who is unable to attend this meeting, but is agreed by proxy. Our society owns the rights of lot 20, where the lighthouse stands, and treasure trove rights on roughly half the island, including the Jaudry Cove lots. Not all rights would be assigned. It would be a percentage-based share, and there are other more valuable assets involved here. Naturally. Dr. Sheldon. She leans to him, shows him the photos, then opens a tissue to reveal the button. Majel sits straighter, pulls a monocle chain at her blouse. Carlos smiles, then turns to the table. I think we have something you'd like to see. Moments later, the group crowd around Majel, sitting at the table examining the button with a jeweler's loop. Reference books and Polaroids are on the table. Hmm. It's British from an officer's uniform, circa 1777 to about 1805. After that, Nickel replaced brass as the base metal in England and Germany. Before the 70s, pewter was used. The design is worn, but it appears to have been an anchor. I can make out one fluke point. From the coat of an admiral or a commander. Uh, yep, I'm satisfied. It's enough for me. Our agreement is also contingent upon finding the chains in this cachet that Yearbright plans to exhume. According to our agreement. At the Clemens office, Saul enters with Miles close behind and stomps to the desk, both covered with clay mud. Huh, the guys are right. You are crazy. That's my cachet. I didn't put 30 years in that darn hole to hand it over to a woman. Pop, the whole area is a sponge. Saul leans over the desk switches a lamp on, 
studies the map spread out and wipes away falling mud splats. I know exactly where it is, Miles. We were right on it a few years ago. We can reach it. Maybe if we had a couple weeks and cement culverts in place, maybe then, but sideways by tomorrow, you're insane. Saul, oblivious to Miles, traces a finger along a red line on the map. Listen, Pop, please. Submerged in the hollow cave tunnel, Lauren and Maruso are busy digging out the collapse, pushing dirt behind and to the sides, only to encounter more tunnel. Both are cramped, dirty, wearing tank tops and shorts. The lights on their hard hats illuminate how tired they are, but they keep at it with hand spades and trowels, filling the buckets they are using to move the excess dirt. After several hours pass, Maruso shines his flashlight on the tunnel. It's cleared, but then he sees it. Another dirt mound ahead. Another collapse. Another? He shines a light on the ceiling above the next dirt mound. No, it's not collapse. It looks like it was dug out. They crawl ahead to the next dirt mound. He shines a light over this mound to see darkness beyond, where another four feet of dirt is piled to within six inches of the tunnel ceiling. It just dissolves into darkness. Doesn't look like a cave-in. It's just too dark to see. She looks ahead. With headlamps and flashlights, they see a square edge in the next dirt mound with a ragged black cloth hanging from it. Brielle had to dig out the tunnel when he came back, alone, or, or there'd be more sets of footprints. I mean, maybe he took the first section of dirt out completely, kind of like we're doing. Or, as he got further along, he just pushed it behind him. There's not a lot of working room. By the time he shifted the dirt around to get through, He'd be reburying the chests. Yeah, and running out of air. He didn't clear the tunnel completely before trying to move the chests out. Oh, he's still in there. Well, he'll keep till tomorrow. Let's call it a night. They grab the buckets and crawl to the outside entrance. In the inky darkness behind them, sticking out of the next dirt mound, is the edge of a black cloth with just a tip of a muddy, white X. A Jolly Roger. Near daybreak, Lucy Yearbright has bulldozers and a crane working hard to dig at an angle down to the cache area. They are taking out dirt down to 75 feet deep at a dangerous slope. The discharge hoses are shaking under the strong flow. For a moment, all work stops as Yearbright, wearing a headset with her hard hat, suddenly waves for the floodlights to redirect toward Clemens' operation. She shouts over the equipment noise. Workmen quickly pivot the floodlights to Clemens' side. Come dawn, miles with emergency workers and a few reporters assemble at a tunnel bored underground between borehole 12B and borehole 11D a slippery mess now lit up by Yearbright's floodlights. Matt Smith reports with a cameraman. Rescue operations are underway at the Clemens drilling site. 
where Saul Clements is trapped 20 meters beneath the ground in a side tunnel only began hours ago. Frantically, the entire crew worked to extract Saul from the collapsed tunnel. But it's Miles who desperately sinks to his knees, shoves one hand down to his elbow into the muck, strains, and pulls up, slowly lifting Saul's wrist. Medic! Here! Over here! EMTs slog from the other end of the trench to Miles and wave over the stretcher. The crew and Miles dig out Saul. Now free, the EMTs help load Saul onto the stretcher. Paramedics take Saul, unconscious, bleeding, and missing two fingers, onto the stretcher to the waiting ambulance. Miles, distraught and mud-covered, is with them. Reporters and cameramen swarm the area. Matt Smith hurries to Miles. Miles Clements, what was your father doing in this secondary tunnel? Ah, get out of my face! Miles climbs into the ambulance as the stretcher is loaded. The EMTs go to work on an unconscious Saul inside. The door slams shut and the ambulance siren blares as it drives away. Back at the Yearbright operation, a crane hovers over the eight-foot-wide, uncribbed borehole. Chains extend from the boom as it pulls something from the depths. Lucy, Robbins, engineers and the workmen look on. Reporters and news crews are waiting and watching from a safe distance. It only takes a moment. Then, the chain pulls up a chipped concrete vault measuring five feet by three feet from the borehole. But it's Lucy that yells with jubilation first. The swinging cement vault is lowered to a waiting semi-truck flatbed. Lucy and the team surround it and detach the chains. That night, in the hospital ICU unit, a not-so-jubilant Miles, cleaned up but haggard, sits beside Saul's bed. Saul is bandaged, bruised, and in a coma. He has missing fingers on both hands. Life support and IVs keep him alive, but there's no brain activity. Miles is pensive, exhausted, staring vacantly at Saul. It's 9 a.m. the next morning at the National Museum of History. The media begins to air the live coverage. Lucy, Robbins, and the team are in place for the grand opening of the vault. It sits center stage in the large room. Walt Brooks looks on. An empty cart waits near Lucy. The director of the museum, Mr. Todds, stands nearby. Lucy nods to Leo, the pneumatic hammer operator, then she looks to Mr. Todd's. Director Todd's will now begin. Let her rip, Leo. Leo takes the pneumatic hammer to the vault and expertly chips away at the brittle cement casing. Fifteen minutes later, cement lays on the floor. The wooden chest is exposed 
Its lid is removed in sawn pieces as Leo stops the hammer. Lucy takes a shovel and stands at the chest side, her hands trembling. Cameras zoom in to show that the cart is empty. On Lucy's face is hesitancy and a decade of hope. She carefully puts the shovel into the murky water of the chest depths and lifts it, pulling up chunks of wooden mulch, sediment, and salt water tainted with oxidation. She slowly ladles a shovelful into the cart. Cameras flash and glint off of the dulled coin-shaped copper coming out in chunks. Lucy faints. Leo drops the hammer, barely catching Lucy. He pulls her upright, her hand still locked on her shovel. Lucy revives, flustered but happy. Well done, Miss Yearbright. At the cottage, Carlos, Rudy, Lauren, and Maruso, now back from their latest adventure, watch the event on TV. Once again, Lucy plunges the shovel back into the chest, pulling up another chunk of murky, clumped coins. I can't believe she fainted. Look at Brooks. On TV, Brooks steps to the cart to get a better look at the coin chunks. Several scoops later, Lucy cannot pull the shovel up from the chest. She wiggles the shovel, then Leo helps her heave up the handle. A rusty, thick link of ship's chain hangs off the spade. More workmen help them lift the shovel, then drag out the kinked chain. Brooks nods and leaves the room. In Rudy's kitchen, the phone rings. That's probably for you, Carlos. Carlos steps into the kitchen. Hello? Yes, Walt? We're watching. The next day, in the underwater cave at Jodry Cove, Lauren and Maruso have cleared more of the dirt mound for a better but dark view of a buried chest past the next clearing. He angles a flashlight. The beam dims. Both are tired and dirt-smeared. Their headlamps and work lights are growing dim. He buried himself in twice. I mean, at least. You ready to head back? He reaches a spade over the remaining cave-in mound and tries to poke the buried chest blockage beyond. Well, he got it nearly out. His flashlight beam dims, fades. He shakes it. We'll need more batteries. Well, that won't be our problem. The museum work crew takes over on Monday. You won't need me anymore? Of course we will, but you just won't have to dig. We'll still need transportation. There won't be any reason to keep up this counterfeit relationship. It won't be the secret it was, but Dr. Sheldon isn't going to go public yet. Well, that's not going to get you out of real dinner tomorrow night. You're on. They head back to the tunnel entrance as the last of their lights dim.
Nappy up in my head, ain't nothing been said Can't even blame a touch From all that I've read, it's a classic case Of overthinking just a little too much I don't know what it is I ain't saying that it's love But oh, something's getting started up Yeah, we're both trying to hide what's cooking on high Won't nobody take a taste but it's crossed my mind if we let this slide on, baby, it would be a waste. And everybody in the kitchen, baby, is talking about us. Cause oh, something's getting started up. Something's getting started up. Something's getting started up. Yeah, we can't keep on playing it down, but something's getting started up. Question on your lips We could call it all an experiment And just settle it with a kiss It's too late to say We've got nothing to discuss Cause oh, something's getting started up Something's getting started up Something's getting started up Yeah, we can't keep on playing it down But something's getting started up hospital ICU room, Miles watches Saul lying in the bed. A nurse looks in from the hallway. Mr. Clemens, we really need you to take these phone calls or make arrangements. I'm sorry, but... Just tell everyone to call the island office. Yes. If you need to talk to someone, we have counselors. I don't need any help. Okay. She leaves. Miles can only stare at the life support panel lights. Saul's not the only one barely hanging on. Back on the island, 
Dusk surrounds the lighthouse. In the beacon room, Lauren watches the foggy dark settle over Oak Island and the bay. A few boats running lights wink back at her from the dark as she descends the staircase. When she reaches the dimly lit base room, Miles steps from the shadows. Miles? Uh, I, I heard about your dad and I'm, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's gotta be tough. How is he? Doesn't look like he's gonna make it, Lauren. Or is that your real name? What do you... You know what I mean. She looks to the door, then the broken window. Miles grabs her arm and that's when she sees the gun in his other hand. What did you do to my dad? He's not your dad. Shut up or I'll shoot you here, understand? She nods yes as he forces her to the door and outside. Miles walks Lauren into the mature trees away from the cottage to where his pickup is parked. He shoves her in the driver's seat and gets in beside her. Get in here. She moves away. Even frightened to death, she has the presence of mind to observe some things that are all wrong. She sees the door lock is broken off and the window crank and door latches have been removed. Miles just looks gaunt and desperate as he drives down the dirt road. Carlos isn't your dad. Carlos isn't, answer me! No, he isn't. Look, I want some answers. Who is he? Carlos Sheldon. They drive deeper into the tree-shrouded roads, traveling until she's lost. Yeah, keep going. He's from the Carnegie Museum of Antiquities in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So who are you? Lauren Gates, his assistant. Your archaeologist? He is. So why are you still here? We wanted to see Lucy open. So you did have a map for the pit? No! Don't lie to me. I'm sick of all your lies. I didn't lie to you for personal reasons, Miles. No one was supposed to know why we were here. Except Rudy. Dr. Sheldon and Rudy go way back to their childhoods. That's the truth. And Captain Maruso. It was safe to tell him. We were introduced by a mutual friend a few years ago and we, we kind of dated. So why are you really here? <sighs> we're exhuming an Algonquin burial site. We had a lead on a Micmac graveyard discovered during the American Revolution, founded by a man. Named Brielle, right? Yeah, how do you know? I heard Rudy mention the name a couple months ago. Why all the lies? Who cares if you dig up a bunch of old Indians? Nobody. We knew all about the money pit and what a notorious attraction it was, and is. Dr. Sheldon wanted to see if this was the island Brielle mentioned in his journals. We weren't... Oh, you did have a map. He sticks the gun barrel in her side and she flinches away. My old man went looking for that map, Lauren. I've been telling him you didn't have one. He pulls the truck over, stops, parks, and grabs her wrist. She tries to inch away. Miles, please, please just listen. It wasn't to a treasure, not like you were looking for. He eases the gun away and releases her. This better be the truth. It is. Brielle was stationed in Halifax during the war, and we didn't know which island he was talking about for the burial site. All the map said was Mecklenburg and an island he called Gloucester. Yeah, those are old names for the bay and Oak Island. We guessed he spent a lot of time shunning his duties. He pulls the truck up the road, then takes a one-track lane. Yeah, keep going. Why not just tell the truth? 
When we thought he had the right island, we knew we'd have trouble leasing any property. No one would ever believe we were searching for anything other than the money pit treasure. So, was that an old survey map Pop got his hands on? No, just an old lighthouse map Rudy's father made. He didn't set that fire. He wouldn't do that. Lewis said it was old wiring. So what were you two doing in Jodry's Cove? Braille's instructions said the entrance to the tomb was in a cave in a northwest cove on the island. So why didn't you look there when you first got here? Well, we didn't think we'd have a chance of getting the lease until after the commotion for the anniversary calmed down. And by then, Lucy was ready to bring her find up. Dr. Sheldon figured that once the vault was opened, island landowners would lease at a good price. No one's gonna sell you treasure trove rights. I doubt anyone considers a pile of old bones a treasure. If there's any value, it'll only be in an academic sense, and the Historical Society already owns the rights. Yeah, go on. Well, we found it. You just walked into a cave and there it was, a graveyard. No, it was submerged and we had to dig the tomb out. He grabs her hand and studies it. You've been digging? Lewis did most of it. Tomorrow an excavation crew comes up to work. It's not a big secret anymore. Miles, please just take me back. Lewis is picking me up soon. He's a... Well, he won't be coming by. He looks at the scar on her palm, then releases her. What did you do? Nothing serious, but he won't be running the second wind tonight. I don't know if I believe your story or not. It's true. Are, are Dr. Sheldon and Rudy all right? I didn't do anything to them. Show me this cave. When Miles and Lauren reach Jodry's Cove, they enter the water from the bank and wade along the shore toward the submerged cave. Lauren leads the way, sometimes walking, half floating in the cold, chest-deep water along the grassy shore bank. Saul isn't really that bad, is he? There's a 70% chance he'll never come out of the coma. Even if he does, he'll be brain dead. So sorry. No one cares. Don't act like you do. He should just die. You don't mean that. You just show me this cave. Lauren searches for the cave's hidden opening. A moment later, her hand breaks through the veil of grass. I think this is it. We never came in from the dock. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm sure. All right, go in. She inhales, sinks to her chin in the water, and goes through the grassy veil. He follows. We'll return to the pod play, Last Flag on Oak Island, in 60 seconds. We now return to the pod play entitled, Last Flag on Oak Island. At the entrance to the submerged cave, Lauren and Miles enter. Filtered moonlight seeps in on a plastic sled with lanterns, flashlights, spades, buckets, shovels, and picks on the bank near the hollow. Miles looks around. Where are the lights? We packed most. The excavation crew will have their own. She slogs to the bank and finds a nearly spent flashlight. Switching it on, she gives it to Miles. He grabs it from her hand. Lauren crouches at the hollow opening with Miles next to her. He points the weak light beam and looks inside. How far in does it go? We got about mm, 25 feet in. Go in and don't try anything stupid, all right? She crawls inside the hollow tunnel, Miles following. The light ahead is weak and her body is blocking most of it. Quickly, 
they reach a dirt mound blockage. Miles, archaeological digs don't always look like much. This one doesn't have... Yeah, save the disclaimers, Lauren. He tries to see over the blockage, straining to shine the light on the mound. Is it in here? No, just beyond. We haven't reached it yet. He leans over the dirt mound and angles the light ahead. The eek beam barely reaches the flag-draped chest. That don't look like a coffin. She squints at the flag corner, realizing for the first time what it is. Yeah, not from this side. The general shape is similar to the other ones we found in Washington. His flashlight dims. He shakes it. The beam steadies, but it is growing weaker. So if Brielle dug it out before you, why is all the dirt still here? Well, we know he got this far, but he never made it back to Britain. We think he was buried in a cave-in. He shines the beam on a corner of the flag, frowns, then inches forward over the dirt mound for a better look. Lauren scoots away, backing down the tunnel to the entry. At the tunnel entry, she just clears the opening and prepares to dive into the water when Miles emerges from the hollow and tackles her. They wrestle. The flashlight bounces into the water. He grabs her wrists, pulls her up, and pins her back to the cave wall. What's in there? She twists against him, suddenly able to slide her hand down to their waists. They fumble for his gun. It's Lauren that slumps against the wall, then drops into a heap. He tries to catch her, but she's limp. He throws the gun on the bank. Lauren, no! Uh, please say something. He lowers her down to the bank and scrambles to the supply sled, searching for another flashlight. That's when Lauren dives into the water. Underwater, she holds her breath, swimming furiously for the cave exit as Miles calls out for her to stop. Lauren! Outside the cave, Lauren breaks through the water, gasps, and grabs the long, slick grass on the steep bank above. She desperately scrambles up the slope. At the hillside slope, she climbs faster, races uphill and runs across the top into the sparse trees, down the other side and into the dirt road below. Disoriented and soaking wet, she looks to both sides, then runs into a thicket of young oaks. Miles, soaked, gun in hand, races down the slope after her. At the road, the jeep appears and slows as Maruso inside sees Lauren run into the thicket. Then he slams the brakes as Miles runs into the road. The brakes screech and the jeep hits Miles with a thud. Miles drops out cold. Maruso scrambles out and runs searching for Lauren. Lauren, Lauren? She emerges from the dark. I'm here. They slowly approach an unconscious Miles on the road. Lauren drops to her knees and reaches to check his pulse. The next day, the Carnegie Museum of Antiquities crew descends on the cave with two divers and equipment. The second wind is nearby. Maruso is aboard with a winch. Back at the cottage, Carlos and Lauren sit with Majel and Brooks. 
talking over the journal and notes. From the second wind, Maruso keeps an eye on the Jodry Cove shoreline as the museum crew huddles waiting around the cave entry. Suddenly, a pod burps out of the water and floats. From nearby tourist boats, crowds cheer and cameras flash. The museum crew hurries to secure cable line from the second wind winch to the pod. The winch winds and tightens, then pulls the pod to the second wind. Outside the hospital entrance, Miles emerges on crutches, one leg in a cast. Two city policemen meet him and escort him to a waiting squad car. The next morning, in the interrogation room of the city police station, Miles sits across from a policeman. Carlos and Lauren sit at the other end of the table. Miles appears drawn, pained. Well, all right then. Do you understand the charges? Yeah. Louis Maruso reported heading. I don't want to file charges. Uh, Dr. Sheldon, you stated earlier that your museum will assume responsibility for the Miles Clemens hospital bills? Yes, the accident took place on property leased by us. Hey, I'd like to drop my charges. Oh, the city recommends you not take this matter lightly, Miss Gates. Yeah, I don't. Uh, is that your final decision? Yes. The policeman writes on a form and stands up, looks at Miles. Well then, consider yourself lucky, boy. The policeman exits. Lauren, do you know what you're doing? Yes, can I just speak to him alone, just for a moment? You won't have any more problems with me, sir. Five minutes. Carlos exits the room, but leaves the door open. Why didn't you tell him I had a gun that night? Dr. Sheldon would have made me press charges. I thought I shot you, Lauren. You let me believe that. Yeah, well, how are you doing? I'm all right. I didn't believe that story about the Indian tomb. Oh, I did when you told me. But you're right. No one would ever believe that you were digging up this island and not looking for treasure. I realized that too late. I would have told you the truth, Miles, but I was afraid you'd be too angry. I mean, with your dad searching for all these years and everything else. So you didn't know Maruso before you got here, did you? No. Well, what did Lucy bring up? A part of the two million. You know that for a fact? You knew those chains were going to be there? She nods yes. And who was Brielle? A British admiral. I can't tell you more, Miles. We're giving a press release really soon. Carlos passes by the doorway. I can wait. He gets to his feet. <sighs> Look, I'm sorry for everything, Lauren. You could tell Maruso that, too. I'll pay for the damage to his boat. Yeah, well, he said it was just a clipped wire, so it's all taken care of. Yeah, okay. I want to thank you for letting me off. He offers his hand, and they shake. You're leaving, aren't you? I should have left a long time ago. Yeah, well, take care of yourself. You too, Lauren. Big cars ain't coming back. So cheap gas ain't coming back. Elvis ain't coming back. So don't worry yourself about that. Long letters ain't coming back. So the postman ain't coming back. 
Hitchhiking ain't coming back And I'm a little worried about laundry mats Old cowboys like my daddy No, they ain't coming back Or long Sunday afternoons When there was time to kill But maybe you will Late nights ain't coming back And those fights ain't coming back You believe me when I tell you that The whiskey ain't coming back My sanity is coming back My heart is coming back How I got back on track Well, I'd love to tell you about that But old phones that don't show who's calling No, they ain't coming back You still can't forgive that name That brings a chill But maybe you will That guy that you saw last With his hand wrapped around a glass If he ain't coming back Maybe you will The next day, Rudy sorts newspapers with headlines like Society Museum Claim Find New Evidence in Old Hole Dead Man Guards Treasure is Tell-All Diary Fake. He looks sourly at a black dress suit hanging on the door. At the West Winds Cultural Center, Brielle's treasure sits on stage. The chests are wooden with brass bands and fittings, metal locks and chains, and the lids are propped open. The room is packed with media. In the wings, the museum crew looks on with Carlos and Rudy, both in suits. Lauren and Maruso watch the chests under the spotlights. Majel and James are in the opposite wing with town officials, plus Alan Sullivan, metals specialist. Brooks walks onto the stage. Welcome to yet another treasure find from Oak Island. Two workmen approach chest one with scissor jacks. The Historical Society's own Miguel Graves has examined the contents of this chest before you, a cache buried in the late 18th century by one British Admiral Claude Brielle, who appears to have robbed the crown of a payroll intended for the colonies during the American Revolutionary War. The full story is in the brochures available at the center entrance. Miss Graves and Alan Sullivan, our metallurgist and numismatic, please step out. 
Michelle and Sullivan joined Brooks, nodding hellos to the crowd. If you please, gentlemen, go ahead. A team of workmen carefully lift the lid of the first chest and stabilize the jacks beneath. A camera projects a view of the contents on an overhead screen behind the stage. On screen, dulled silver and copper coins and clumps are seen. An inset on the screen shows Brielle's crossbones, black and white flag, tattered but mostly intact. In the wings, Carlos and Lauren look on. On stage, Sullivan uses a loop to examine a chunk of coins he is gripping with a pair of tongs. A pause. Then, he nods a definite yes. After examination of these coins in my hand and from previous study, I announce these to be copper farthings, probably of Charles II and silver shillings of the Commonwealth, circa 1650. In the wings, Maruso nudges Lauren. Hey, <laughs> you're not going to faint. <laughs> not a chance. That's a genuine British payroll in there. Majil got through to the British Royal Revenue Library this morning and they confessed Admiral Brielle did have possession of 2.2 million pounds, mostly old sterling, when the Lady Grey missed its docking at Port Shannon, straight from London. He takes a paper from his breast pocket and hands it to Lauren. She quickly skims it. Ah, it's indisputable. The crew uncovered a skeleton, complete with remnants of British clothing from the 18th century, and two more buttons matching the one you found. He's being exhumed now and will be sent to our lab. On stage, two workmen set up posts and velvet ropes, while Brooks organizes a crowd line for viewing the chest. Hey, Rudy, I believe we're due a celebratory scotch. Or two. Maruso puts his arm around Lauren's shoulders. If you're done toying with young Clement's affections... Lewis. We've still got a dinner date. On stage, the crowd parts to allow Lucy Yearbright to the head of the line. She searches out Rudy and Carlos, nods and grins. Carlos and Rudy nod in reply. Miss Yearbright is a class act. The camera closes in on the chest's contents, then pulls back, focuses on the overhead screen, which enlarges the image to show Brielle's X-Flag laid flat for display. This has been the Podplay Last Flag on Oak Island, adapted from the screenplay written by J.R. Jordan Baines. If you've enjoyed the new and original music you've heard in this pod play, you can stream or download these songs anywhere, anytime, from wherever you get your music. Or simply visit podplays.com for the songs, more pod plays containing more original music, and entertaining bonus content. Search for the free pod plays app in the App Store now. Might be up in my head, ain't nothing been said, can't even blame the touch. From all that I've read, it's a classic case of overthinking just a little too much. I don't know what it is, and I ain't saying that it's love. But oh, baby, something gets started up.
let it slide Oh, baby, it will be a waste Everybody in the kitchen, son, is talking about us Oh, yeah, some get started up Yeah, some get started up Some get started up Oh, we can't keep on playing it down Some get started up On your lips We could call it all An experiment And just settle it With the kids Oh, it's too late to say That we got nothing To discuss Oh, baby Something gets started up Yeah, something gets started up Something gets started up Oh, we can't keep on Playing it down Something gets started up Better call a preacher, some get started up now. Say some get started up. Yeah, some get started up. Oh, we can keep on playing it down. Some get started up. Yeah, some get started up. Well, some get started up. Oh, we can keep on playing it down. Some get started up. Great stories, epic songs, pod plays. If you enjoy the new and original music you discover in pod plays, be sure to stream or download these songs anywhere you currently get your music. Simply search the artist name pod plays, and please remember to like, follow, and share with all your friends.